glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite movie. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember some of our favorite movies from the early horror. Horror movies are somewhere in there. Forget it. Welcome, everybody. If you're just joining us this week, welcome. If you're just joining us from last week, we're still figuring out our audio things. Thank you for bearing with us and some of the dropouts. I'm sure you could figure out what we were trying to say. Doesn't matter. (laughs) And if you're joining us uh, from the first episode, congratulations. Something very special is going out to you very soon. That's a complete lie. Why do I? Why do I do this? What, what why the, do I do this? Why do I lie? To, why do I lie to people? Why do I just what? say things? <laughs> Where did that even come from? <sighs> it was a joke. It's but, improv. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Wh- who are you improving to? To my audience. To you guys. Are you? Do you like that? Hi. Hi. How are you? Why do you make a podcast? Why That's, do I make a podcast? This you, show isn't why, about me. No, this well, isn't about it, me. It has to be at some point. Otherwise, I'm not going to listen anymore. I'm sorry. I need to reintroduce myself again. Welcome to the Gory Days. Kyle Leone here once again, sitting inside my tin can of a recording studio inside Los Angeles, California. And once again, joining me for the second week in a row, wearing a very different shirt, Derek. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. How you been? Good. You've been keeping warm. It's been cooling down, actually. Are we talking about the weather now on our on this podcast? I was just gonna say we'll have to cut that out. Maybe before, we should make it a travel podcast. Or you thinking about traveling anytime, anytime soon? I'll take the reins on this one. No, you, know, you don't so- need to take the reins on this one. I just I have to say I don't get it. You know, I mean, you know, I know you're doing it for our viewers, listeners, listeners. Sorry to get an introduction to who I am, but, like, you know how my day was. I told you about it when we had dinner together. Yeah, that was off mic. Like, I know it is, but, um... Well, you know what? Part, they don't care about how my day... I guess they care because they're good people. I think the listeners but... will decide what they care and what they don't care about, and I'll be the lightning rod to take you from the ether to their ears. Oh. So, ether, lightning, I command thee! Why do you like horror movies? I'm sorry, do you like horror I don't, movies? Well, okay, I like horror movies, but it's funny you'd ask me that, if only because in the context of the show, I know you're really asking me, do I like 80s horror movies? And no, I don't actually really like 80s horror Why? movies that much. Um, creature, like, practical effects have a really important place in history, and there's some great movies that took it and could really run with it. The Thing Comes to Mind, Alien, mm-hmm. um, many other good movies. But they don't really do much for me cinematically. I think they're kind of hokey, especially now they've aged extremely poorly. Uh, campy and slashery kind of movies. I don't know. I really would like to be scared when I'm watching horror. I do watch it to be frightened. And most 80s horror movies I find way too campy or at least at best way too old. Like just too out of, out of date to really be scary. So I'm curious, um, and you mentioned that you like to be scared during horror movies. I think it's important for our listeners to decide and realize that fear and being scared, as far as a movie goes, has many different faces. Horror, yes, is a genre, but there are a litany of subgenres within horror. Body horror, torture porn, alien 
uh, slashers, like you mentioned. What does scare you in a horror movie? Things that could really actually happen to me. Like what? Murderers. Crazy. Escaped. Oh, God. Jeez, I don't want to say crazy. That's terrible. Um... <laughs> That's fine, but, though. Like, all the movies seem to, like, rely on having an escaped mental patient be, like, their primary motive for, like, someone being threatening. But and you shouldn't apologize for something you're afraid of. If you're legitimately afraid no, of the afraid unhinged, of, that's something that Hollywood knows and tries to capitalize on. It's uh, a no, very it's a ridiculous thing. I don't even really think of a movie where that actually happens. It's more of just the idea that, you know, someone breaking into your house and killing you or, like, someone who you thought you knew turning on you. Home invasion. It's not even betrayal. just home invasion, but, yeah, realistically, betrayal or... Even just, like, threatening situations that can happen in real life, like someone shooting you, someone stabbing you, someone, like, murdering you in, like, realistic ways. Like, a counterpoint being, like, the Saw films mm-hmm. and a lot of them having just ridiculous contraptions to get kills that are entertaining. But I'm not really afraid of someone putting me in a giant hamster wheel pinball machine contraption to kill me. That but you're afraid will of never the, happen. But you're afraid of the theme of being put in captivity somehow. Oh, no. The first Saw movie actually is very scary to me. The idea of, like, having to make a choice between, like, body mutilation and, like, death is a terrifying concept and very realistic. And, like, again, something that someone could lock me in a room, give me a, cha- you know, saw, and chain me to something. That's a very easy scheme to pull off. I think that's a fantastic movie to bring up. Lee Winnell and James Wan's original Saw broke the mold on what modern horror has eventually become an amalgamation of multiple different subgenres of horror under the umbrella of whatever the movie's themes are without relegating it to the tropes of a slasher the tropes of a monster movie what saw is able to do and i don't want to spoil it i'm not going to spoil saw i know it's been out for a long time but it's really the kind of movie that i do not want to spoil i just want you if you haven't seen saw go out there and rent it don't bother seeing the other ones but saw manages to marry body horror torture porn slasher suspense moments psychological horror uh, some just straight-up thriller things into one fantastic movie. So to hear you say that Saw uh, makes you scared and to hear that your bar of what scares you is... Well, see, it's funny because I used it for both, li- both sides of that spectrum. I used it for what scares me and what is also ridiculous and what can ruin even modern horror for like a, a frightening perspective. So would you say you're more... Uh, initially frightened by the actions that are happening or the general theme of a lack of safety or the illusion of safety i'd say the theme plays a really heavy part in it because my complaint with those kind of movies is when you introduce action scenes or even like lightly comedic scenes to break tension i don't really want to break that much tension necessarily i'd rather like you can have dramatic moments maybe to continue the plot and i'm sure more you're gonna have to have action at some point but the more it takes away from, and the more it recognizes that, oh, are you too scared? Let, let's step back for a second. The less I can really be scared, the less I can be in it. And that's, I'm only there for that reason sometimes. Do you enjoy when a horror movie lingers with you and makes you feel unease for a while afterwards, maybe even a few days? Or do you not enjoy that? Do you not seek that out? I guess that's two different I questions. I don't really think I enjoy it, actually. I think it's a mark for when something was truly frightening that was my follow-up is but is that a sign of quality when i don't really do think it's something i'm seeking out i actually really don't like to be left feeling 
ill at ease for days um especially because it frequently comes from like a body horror or a kind of torture porn scene where someone you know gets mutilated interesting so not necessarily a scene that's full of a bunch of relatable themes just visually disturbing well again like someone getting their fingernails ripped off you know something that's reasonably forcibly like not yeah, in a, but my point is it's not it, it can't be yeah someone getting their head lawnmowered off like that's something ridiculous silly. yeah it has to be something that so like, where is if, that line where is the line when we can say something well that's silly that's <laughs> okay, ridiculous here's here's my line is if someone with two hours of preparation and a home depot gift card could do it to me then it's scary really yeah that's a good qualifier it's just because I think of movies like The Happening, which were, by definition of all of the deaths, realistic deaths. I will spoil The Happening because I think it's M. Night Shyamalan's worst outing. And I am counting Lady in the Water, ladies and gentlemen. In uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening, the plants of Earth have had enough with people and spread out spores oh God, that make that everyone movie. on Earth kill themselves. And there was one moment that was kind of spoiled in the trailer of a man outside who turns on a big giant lawnmower, gets off of the lawnmower, and then lays down in front of it and gets run over by it. And I remember, however old I was at the time, think like that scene like really shocked and disturbed me. And I guess th- that's a weird line. Is I remember think I remember being shocked and disturbed, but. God, that's silly. He turns on a lawnmower and then lays down in front of it. The trailer, it's scarier, too. Because in the movie, you realize that they cut away when it actually runs him over. So you don't see anything except some blood spray. And it it almost sounds comical with the sound effects going. And it's juxtaposed between a bunch of other semi-ridiculous kills. But I want to compare it to a almost identical death in Sinister when Ethan Hawke is what the actor I forget the character he plays but Ethan Hawke is watching one or maybe the second slideshow of a family that is dying and it's uh, a camera on top of the lawnmower there's a light maybe on the camera maybe on the lawnmower that illuminates one foot in front of the lawnmower otherwise it is completely dark and the only reason that you know we're traveling is that you see grass coming into frame and under the lawnmower and it holds on that for a while you just keep seeing more grass more grass more grass and then a body and then we cut away and I remember being very scared at that moment too namely because I had no idea what was going to oh, happen that movie was just in a tour de force in setting creepy scenes in such a good way like the idea of mowing your lawn at night is just so foreign and weird and then to present it in a tape in a form where you're already like this guy's watching a creepy tape it's so like what's the second happen? one and then to have something that bizarre happening then with the very unsettling framing that they have on it too it was just great oh, that, everything about that movie was great so now what's the difference between the happenings lawnmower death and sinister's lawnmower death that makes one silly and unrealistic and the other terrifying and you don't even stop to wonder if it was realistic or not the tone the fact that sinister already has me scared when he put the tape in the player i don't really by the time that something's actually happening on it it's just validating that i should already be terrified i think this the tone absolutely the tone of sinister is one of mystery ethan hawk is a writer so he's trying to understand what's happening and so we as the viewer at that point are confused as well the happening we're also confused and trying to understand why these people are killing themselves but this shot in particular is taken from the side from very far away and it's a long cut 
where the guy gets out of his lawnmower, lays down in front of it, and the lawnmower slowly gets to him. The fear and terror is more about like the suspense of, oh my gosh, it's going to get to him. It's going to get to him. But it's, it got to it's him. It's literally the steamroller scene from Austin Powers. Yes, yes. Yes, it is. Or, stop! Look out! Yeah, With um, Michael McDonald uh, from Mad TV. That that was his role as the guy who gets squished by uh, the steamroller. Are you impressed I know that? I, I guess I kind of am. Anyway, why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because today's movie that we watched, what was, <laughs> what was it called? was ghoulies that's right oh my god we watched the 1985 ghoulies which i would argue every single one of its quote-unquote scares seems to derek this movie was bad it was a bad movie this movie was bad it was a bad movie but i actually expected it to be funny bad i did too but why hulu rated it as a horror comma horror dash comedy i was surprised to see that I went, okay, it's supposed to be some campy creature feature latex puppet nightmare. So that, that set up for a reasonable expectation, and it, it just wasn't even that. Like, they designed three good puppets, and then they kind of just had them gesticulate a little bit for a while. I, uh, I don't need to get into the plot of this thing yet, but no, it was just a very disappointing and lackluster movie that, for being titled Ghoulies, really didn't need to have ghoulies in it, I would say. You'd think a movie titled Ghoulies would feature the ghoulies for more than, like, five minutes, but the movie can't even decide what ghoulies are. Anyway. Oh, they're uh, spirits. But like, but are they the puppets? Are they the dwarves? Are they the clowns? So that's the thing. Like the ghoulies are the like creepy little satanic spirits that apparently the guy summons. But it, I only can assume in retrospect that they're like the level one summoning spell thing that you gotta like learn how to summon them. Then you can start summoning worthwhile things like this pair of twin little people to help you uh, accomplish your evil schemes. Or, oh god, what's the thing he summons after that that's actually... Oh wait, there's a big ghoulie too. Yeah, well, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. It's okay. If you've ever seen the poster or the box art for ghoulies, rather, if you haven't seen those, let me describe it to you. A toilet. The the word ghoulies adorns the top of the posters and the boxes and the VHS things and all of that. And underneath it is a toilet, and inside the toilet is, how would you describe the ghoulie? Green, baby-ish, vaguely amphibious, uh, sticking out of the toilet. And oh, it's like a Cabbage Patch Kid mixed like with a garbage the kid. creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. And, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, so pretty recognizable. Honestly, me just describing it, you probably have an idea in your head. You've probably seen it at the video store when you were a kid um, at Blockbuster and maybe even avoided it because it scared you and startled you. You would not be alone in that. The marketing campaign for this movie featured exclusively, not exclusively, but heavily, that image of the uh, uh, ghoulie coming out of the toilet. And in fact, according to Charles Band, he and the other staff members of the movie received a ton of hate mail in response to the TV trailer for the movie. A lot of those letters were from parents who didn't like the ad because their kids were afraid of going to the bathroom. So, I can understand that. I can understand seeing an image, a still image, and putting together a whole story. In fact, 
that's what the filmmakers wanted. Uh, this movie has nothing to do with the ghoulies, almost. Has nothing to do with the the idea of them popping out of toilets. In fact, the one shot that mimics the poster was shot well after the movie had been finished. And so they just kind of ham-fisted it into the, I believe it's the scene where they're all screaming, ah! Yeah, I don't actually remember that scene being in the movie. It, I do, and it okay. looks completely different, and it's like in a black void, and the toilet is really tiny because the, the ghoulie has to pop up. Anyway, they put this poster together, they put this trailer together, they think it's genius, and they get nothing but hate mail from parents because their children are afraid to use the toilets. It worked for something because it got butts in seats, at least, to come see this terrible movie. It released, uh, I believe it was, I think when I looked it up, it was a Tuesday. Once again, this had a limited release in November of 1984 in the UK. It released in the UK under uh, an early release name was called Beasties. It was then changed to Ghoulies before it came over to the United States in January of 1985. So what's going on in the world of January 1985 here in America? Well, the AIDS virus is identified, and it is not the worldwide problem it is today. Following the widespread famine in Ethiopia, many of the top British and Irish USSR pop musicians joined together under the name Band-Aid and record the song Do They Know It's Christmas. Following the boycott by the U.S. of the Moscow Olympics, the Soviet bloc boycotts the Los Angeles Games. Recession continues to be a problem in the U.S., and 70 U.S. banks fail in just one year. If you're in the United States, you're probably singing along to Madonna's Like a Virgin. If you were over in the U.K. at the time, though, you're probably rocking out to foreigners' I Want to Know What Love Is, as both of these songs were number one on their respective charts at the time. If you were a kid, you might have been enjoying movies like Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Beverly Hills Cop, The Karate Kid, Star Trek 3, Police Academy, The okay, Terminator. You're just listing terms. Do you I understand can't... the point I'm making? This is the movies that were out at the time. And Ghoulies had to compete against this. And specifically, on the day it released, it had to compete with Dune. David Lynch's Dune with David Lynch's favorite, Kyle MacLachlan. 1984, Michael Radford, starring John Hurt. John Carpenter's Starman with Jeff Bridges. And believe it or not, a Nightmare on Elm Street, Wes Craven's seminal classic. Ghoulies was on the same marquee as A Nightmare on Elm Street. <sighs> Some of well, the that actually kind of makes sense to me, if only because my first thought is that if you're going to the movies and your teenage kids wants to see Nightmare on Elm Street, maybe you can take your younger kids to see this ghoulies movie it sounds kind of silly like, like it's a got joke. like a puppet on it like yeah they can handle that and you'd be wrong you'd be I wrong think. but your kids wouldn't be that scared hopefully <sighs> they wouldn't be that scared unless they like really were afraid of like demons or something because the, the puppets are pretty creepy i will say that like the puppets are actually unsettling the first time you see them like their designs are a little bit creepy but you quickly get bored of them because they're so not menacing anyway Sorry to interrupt. Oh, it's okay. I just wanted to give a little bit of the timeline for how this movie got made. The original Ghoulies originated in 1983 under the title Beasties, like I mentioned. And it was actually be to be directed by the executive producer of this film, Charles Band, with special effects by 
drumroll please, our own Stan Winston of Pumpkinhead. After the two had previously collaborated on Parasite, this of course didn't happen because it ended up being directed by Luca Bercovici, with special effects by, this is who we have to thank, John Carl Buchler and his company, Mechanical and Makeup yeah. Imageries Incorporated, still happily employed and working today. After a November 1984 UK premiere, the film was th released theatrically in the US by Empire Pictures in March of 1985, where afterwards it enjoyed a huge boon in the home video market. Didn't do that well in theaters, but do you want to guess how much it made in video sales? No, I have no idea what a normal number would be for that. This had a budget of a scant $1 million. It made $35 million. The first number makes a lot of sense. The second number, I guess you can just chalk it up to a good box art. To box art, quite literally. And it's a theme that I want to get to a little bit later when we're talking about our analysis, but just the idea of tricking your audience into expecting a product and delivering something entirely different and just going, well, you paid for it. What are you going to do? Walk out? Leave? Demand your money back? Maybe in this day and age. The tagline for this movie, because the uh, ghoulie was featured in the toilet, I guess, was, they'll get you, dot, 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 in the end. <laughs> so, something I thought was pretty interesting that I didn't recognize when we were watching the movie. Have you ever seen Law & Order Special Victims Unit? Yes. Do you know the two detectives? Someone in Stabler? That's the thing. We all remember Christopher Maloney, Stabler, but I can never remember the other uh, the other detective's name. Um, yeah, I don't remember her name. Okay, well, I can't remember her name either, but I was surprised to find out that this is her film debut. She played Donna. Mariska Hargaday is her name, and she played Donna in this movie. Marissa Hargaday of Law yeah. & Order Special Victims Unit got yeah. her film debut. No, I was just actually, I had her confused with the character. I was picturing the cast from Chopping Mall and trying oh. to figure out which one she was. And I'm like, then I just got sagged. So I went, oh, Chopping Mall was so much better than this movie. This movie had to cut 12 minutes from its runtime to achieve a PG-13 rating. My mind boggles with what those 12 minutes had that were keeping this movie from being PG-13. It could almost be PG. By modern standards, if you cut out like one or two neck maulings... It could be probably PG. I feel like the movie would be PG if it stuck with its original story. Originally, the movie was, uh, the concept was to, was about a kid moving into his grandpa's house to find out that the inspirations for his grandpa's stories were living in the house and trying to kill him. Fox greenlit the film for $12 million budget, but the film was dropped and the script was heavily rewritten to appeal to teenagers and stripped of $11 million and also left Fox. I don't know. Does that plot sound similar to any other movies? Yeah, not that I can think of. Kind of I sounds mean, vaguely similar to Troll 2. E.T.? Maybe. <laughs> Lastly, all the college-aged quote-unquote college-aged actors in this film are clearly in their 30s. I thought that was pretty funny. I mean, it's not really clear that they were even supposed to be college-aged outside of the fact that he goes, oh, I'm going to take time off of school. But, I mean, I just assumed he was like an adjunct professor or something. Directed by Luca Bercovici. If you guys want to read anything more on the Ghoulies, you can go to the Ghoulies blog, which is still being maintained at www.ghouliesmovies.weebly.com. 
Wait, you say still being maintained. You realize it didn't exist in 1986 when this movie came out, right? <laughs> it's not still being maintained no, since before the internet. What I mean is they surely made this website after the fourth Ghoulies, which was in 1994, and it's still being maintained. This movie, Ghoulies, inspired not two, not one, not two, but three sequels. And Ghoulies 2... The ghoulies from this movie, from Ghoulies 1, escape the manor and end up hiding in an amusement park called Satan's Den, which becomes a smash hit when the visitors think the monsters are part of the amusement park until they start killing everybody. In Ghoulies 3, ghoulies go to college. The little demons are summoned at a college professor campus by Professor Ragnar, who's obsessed with the occult. So the creatures wreak havoc, it's dismissed as pranks by the partying frat houses during Hell Week until the school realizes that the pranks are murderous. Um, and that movie I was surprised to hear was Matthew Lillard's film debut. Matthew Lillard, of course, I only know him from Scooby-Doo. Both of those sound way better and more relevant to Ghoulies as a title than the movie we watched. So the what's the one, fourth one? The fourth one seems like the best one, frankly. All of these, uh, yeah. Ghoulies 4 in 1994, the final chapter, brings... Jonathan Graves, the main character from Ghoulies 1, back. He returns, this time a retired occultist turned police officer. Uh, His latest assignment finds him battling his former girlfriend, not from this movie, Alexandra, who's escaped an asylum and is trying to summon the the demonic forces that Graves messed with in the first movie. So it brings it all back home. And that movie was directed by our favorite, Jim Wynorski. Director of Chopping Mall, Sexual Predator. I'm sorry, I forgot his name. Jim Wynorski directed the fourth and final installment of Ghoulies, Ghoulies 4. Kind of cosmic in that way. Jim Wynorski, I found out, is still currently working in Hollywood and has a few projects in pre-production right now. So, listeners of the Gory Days, when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, a very brief recap of the movie Ghoulies, Then we'll be getting into some of our analyses and discussions when we come back to the Gory Days. The Gory Days! You sure? You sure? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Gory Days. Here I am, Kyle Leone, with my guest, Derek, this week, talking about 1985's Ghoulies. Now, I know there was a little confusion in the description as when Ghoulies came out. I believe I said 1984, when really it came out in 1985. The reason for that I already mentioned is because the movie released in, U- in the UK in 1984 before coming over to the States. Oh, excuse me, in 1985. Whew, got those coffee burps. <laughs> so, let's get into a quick recap, shall we? Certainly. All right. So, Ghoulies tells the story of Jonathan Graves, a man who survived a sacrificial, uh, an almost sacrifice, goes to meet a girl and inherits a mansion from his father. Let's go back a little bit to Jonathan Graves' past. When Jonathan Graves was an itty-bitty baby, he almost got sacrificed, like I mentioned, by his father. Ooh. The first scene in the movie we get is a big, full-on, satanic ritual, complete with pentagrams, people in hoods. If you were to tell someone to describe a satanic ritual, this is pretty much exactly what you would expect. Well, yeah, if you told them to describe... Knott's Berry Farm presents a satanic ritual because they're in like Halloween store costumes and for some reason like white robes because yeah white robes are associated with evil yeah all the cultists are in white robes okay 
I uh, I think they're in the dead people are white at the end. I think these guys are actually in black hood. No, am same I rooms. really wrong? Wow, holy. Okay, so the whole yeah. The point is that's the only way you would know they were the same cultists as so, the first ritual. So this crazy guy wants to sacrifice a GD baby, and everyone else in the room is fine with it except for this one woman who says like you promised, presumably the baby's mother, and the the guy's like, "What? You're throwing off the whole ritual." So she throws an amulet over the baby, like a necklace. This necklace never comes back. It doesn't. It doesn't. And I'll explain why. But this Netflix... This Netflix... This Netflix (laughs) never comes back. (laughs) This necklace never comes back, but it protects him. Because when she puts the necklace on the baby, she says, you can't hurt him now. Which is the first time in this movie that we already know that, like, are these Satanists? Are these cultists? And it Do they becomes, actually have power? They're just occultists. It's just generally, like, they are, for lack of a better term, wizards and just witches. But, like, no, they're supposed to be, like, oh. wizards. Like, because they're not just Satanists. Like, they don't just worship demons. They, they like, speak to a bunch of different old gods and stuff and, like, throw lightning bolts even. And it's like, they're they're just straight-up Disney wizards at a certain point, right. except that they summon hideous monsters Well, we see those a little things. later. Here in the beginning, the woman puts the talisman necklace on the baby. The woman uh, gets her chest exploded, or it's about to, um, as punishment. Her chest starts to glow, and you think it's going to explode. We don't see it explode. Baby lives on. We get a voiceover to find out that uh, the caretaker, uh, Wolfgang, took the baby to somewhere and at some point decided that, hey, even though I took the baby away for safety, I'm going to let him come back to inherit the mansion that his father tried to sacrifice him in. And apparently I'm also not even going to bother cleaning up all of the satanic stuff in the basement at all. So that one day when he's wandering around, he'll just stumble across all of the satanic ritual stuff and get interested in it to start summoning some monsters himself. So Jonathan is not a single man. He is dating a girl named Rebecca. He and Rebecca are wandering the uh, grounds and notice a gravestone with a pentagram on it. No mention is made of the pentagram. No mention is made of how strange the gravestone looks or is and the fact that it's there. Pretty much just moves on. I mean, they do mention it. They actually, that's the whole intro scene for those two characters. Oh, they characters, do say it's weird? Is they go, what's that? I don't know. Kind of looks like a gravestone. Oh, don't go look at it. Oh, don't. And then Wolfgang appears behind her. That's right. Like, so we they need... are obsessed with this gravestone in reality. Like, that's they right. really care about but it. But they don't mention the pentagram. They super forget about it after, like, you know, they get scared by a creepy groundskeeper. Well, who, she gets scared. It's so obvious that he's going to be a good guy. Hey, well, <laughs> yeah, Wolfgang shows up and looks stern and strange and doesn't say a word. Rebecca gets weirded out, and Jonathan walks away into the manor and explains to him, Wolfgang's the only family I've known. So that's why he stands there and looks creepy and doesn't say a word whenever I bring girls around. Anyway, he finds the cult book in the attic, and that's what gets him interested in uh, becoming a cultist just like his dad. No, well, they start having a party. Well, that, yeah, after, yeah, so then it's party time, because any movie that features a bunch of teens getting together... There has to be a party where they're doing drugs and they're drinking and they're mingling. We meet Toad Boy. We meet uh, Mike and Eddie. We meet uh, the other girls, Donna and Robin, in the kitchen. We meet Dick. And boy, ever do we meet Dick. My name's Dick. My, uh, my name's Dick. 
but you can call me Dick. Ha 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 It's the big ladies man. All these people are going to die. Though it's weird, he's like a 1950s greaser looking guy, and it's like, he's supposed to be cool, He kind of looks though. like Tim Kalpakis from the Birthday Boys. But like, no, he's supposed to be the cool guy, though, and he, like, he's kind of a dork, like, even by the standards of, like, 80s cool, it seems like. But... Anyway, the party gets finished, and there's, like, an after party where the main characters are all hanging out and thinking, like, hey, what game should we play? Strip poker. Ha 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 And John, completely straight-faced, goes, let's do a ritual. And they're all like, yeah. So they follow him downstairs uh, where he pulls out like a trident and a robe, tells all of his friends to stand there. And they're drunk. They're making fun of him because he's drawn a chalk thing on the ground. He's saying Latin and gibberish. And they're literally cracking jokes every second. That's exactly what I'd be doing. This guy's my no, friend's crazy. Him, I'm drunk. way more of the benefit of the doubt. They're way that. nicer, politer. They actually let him go through like four ritual like nonsense lines and then he does the literally does the hokey pokey he puts his arms up and turns around in a circle before they make fun of him for that says you do the the hokey pokey and And he he kind of goes and then the next time he makes like a loud noise and one of the girls like screams really loud as a joke as a joke and he just tells her shut the fuck up pretty much like really loud really angry and like they all kind of react to it a little poorly but they just still stand there and wait for him to continue his crazy time ritual eventually they get fed up and they start leaving and he's like wait i have to dismiss the spirits and he they're like dude you you're our friend but this is too much so they leave and mind, mind you they're in a room with a guy who calls himself toad boy and periodically changes personas does he actually call himself toad boy does he enjoy that or was that a name that people give him because he introduces he, himself as toad he boy leads with it yeah so which which was a confusing intro too because i was trying to figure out his real name it's it's mark um anyway so he says he's supposed to dismiss the spirit and he doesn't get a chance to so then the next thing I have on here is clown scare. Oh, that's right. Eddie and Mike uh, go upstairs to look around and inside uh, one oh, of the, the rooms. the scream girl ran out of the ritual and they, they can't find her. They find uh, a clown sitting in a, a rocking chair. This is clearly a poltergeist like homage. Um, as they turn to look in the closet for the girl, the clown jumps out at them and they're like, whoa, there's a clown in the closet. And then they look back to the rocking chair. It's empty. And so Eddie suggests... Wasn't he just over there? So they drop the clown, stop fondling and joking around with it like they were doing, and leave the room. That was one of the more eerie moments for me. I was like, oh, is this the kind of scares this movie's going to bring? That was kind of cool, actually, where the clown teleported to the other room. It's the one-off. There's absolutely nothing else like that in this movie. So then we get another voiceover of uh, Wolfgang saying, and that's how it happened. Evil willing the boy and the boy not uh, doing anything about it. And me, Wolfgang, also not doing anything about it, even though I knew evil was willing the boy. What he means by that is John is succumbing to the intrigue of the dark forces, supposedly the same ones that his father fell prey to. So what does he do first? He He forges his own talisman which he then gives to Rebecca, presumably to protect her in the same way that the woman at the beginning protected the baby with her own necklace. This is the first instance of the writers just not understanding how movies work. It's really clear that at some point it's supposed to be conveyed that he's fighting against this, like, demon of his dead father who's possessing him. So much later, though. he calls her Becky, and when he's being possessed, he calls her Rebecca. 
they show it off in one scene and it's a little bit noteworthy and it's right at the when they give him the give her that amulet and it's supposed to kind of indicate that is he fighting against it is he two people what's going on here it is so subtle and sort of i'm giving them beyond You're giving the benefit a huge of the amount of credit <laughs> that that's what they were going for by switching back and forth with her name and her nickname but yeah, the amulet doesn't actually do anything. Like, I don't want to try to think about it too hard, or I might have an aneurysm, but the mom, the woman in the beginning, puts the necklace on the baby, and that protects it. Why does John have the power to create the thing that protects people from the same magic he learned how to do it from? Well, I assume once again they're not Satanists. They could have just they're used just the same it necklace. The book. It could have been a theme of the that necklace's power. It's just the writer is completely missing that opportunity. So anyway, like I said, I don't want to blabber that point. I want to move on because this is where he actually summons the ghoulies for the first time, and it's so bizarre. He's outside in a fountain. He's learned that I guess you can summon them wherever you want. Um, so yeah, he's outside by a fountain, and he summons the, he summons them by name, and he uses uh like. They sound like big, powerful demons because he's like, Paimon of the depths, I command you with all the power, come to me. Like he's got this huge, long soliloquy of how powerful these demons are and how I'm commanding them to be at my bidding. And what finally shows up are these teeny tiny little puppets. Yeah, they are literally the size of a Cabbage Patch doll. They're tiny. They're tiny. And they don't look scary. There's there's a cat ghoulie that's like kind of got little cat kitty ears. There's a rat ghoulie that's got like kind of a rat snout. And there's the green like ghoulie that we see in the toilet. And there's another one that's like up in the tree. And these are the four all-powerful demons that he's been waiting for. I completely forgot about the weird spider one that's in the tree. You like <laughs> never see it again in the movie. No. <laughs> or what about the one in the clown suit? Okay, yeah, well, so he summons the four that we see in this scene and then immediately tells them, don't do anything. Hey, guys, I summoned you here. Be invisible to all but me and yeah. wait for me to tell Which, you what to do. He says that, and I assume that means, oh, just go hide. What he actually apparently did is turn them completely invisible. Like, his guests later do not see them right in front of their face. So it's not just innuendo. They aren't entirely invisible, apparently. After an indoor storm, Rebecca confronts John and starts. Uh, she comes downstairs and, much like Pepper Potts finds Tony in Iron Man 1 uh, being manhandled by his machines and Tony going, come on, this isn't the worst thing you've seen me doing. You've caught me doing. Rebecca find, uh, comes down to the stairs of the basement and finds John red-handed summoning. And he does a pretty phenomenal job of gaslighting her. They go upstairs, and she starts to clean some things out of anger and frustration and betrayal, gives up, and for one moment, they have an emotionally raw moment where she's betrayed, and John has the one opportunity to make things right, and he gaslights her. He tells her, I'm so sorry. I'll stop this. I'll stop all of it. I promise. Gives her a big hug and like gives a snide grin, like, ha-ha, it worked. Um, yeah, John lies, uh, and then they start to have makeup sex, and John is so addicted to summoning at this point that he's now summoning during sex, 
And so he's on top of her, and he's mumbling in Latin. Underneath, he's got a ghoulie drawing a chalk thing under the bed for him. And she's like, this is too much. I told you an hour ago. This isn't okay. You said you wouldn't do this anymore, and now you're summoning during sex. I'm out of here. What he managed to summon during sex was not more rubber ghoulies. He summons two dwarves. What? No, no, no. You've crossed this entirely. When when he's trying to do the thing during sex, that's like some type of impregnate her and also summon a demon thing. He summons the dwarves later in a different scene. Oh, is that in the next scene? Okay, yeah, in the I next scene, he walks in and then he goes... Oh, that failed. Uh, now that she's super pissed and gone, I guess I'm just going to do the big summonings. That's right. So he does a big summoning where he summons two little people named Grizzle and Greedy Gut, a male and a female little people. Uh, these these little people, uh, the actor that plays uh, Grizzle, I think is the male, uh, has actually been in a lot of other horror movies. He was an Ewok in uh, uh, Empire um, in Return of the Jedi, as I imagine a lot of actors little people at the time were is that what you call them am i being pc i think that's right i think that's right little people anyway we're trying i'm sorry sorry. i'm trying if you're a little person uh with with ears listening to this oh so now you need ears to listen well i was just gonna say i was was literally like a little person with i don't want to say normal ears i don't want to say (laughs) but they do like oh they now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you people when did it become you people Kyle? oh god i'm so bad at this <laughs> uh, so they tell him the two dwarves show up and they tell him oh yeah. oh god no i'm doing the voice i'm so sorry <laughs> they tell him there's they, no such thing as a dwarf oh my voice. god i'm so terrible at this the guy just had a normal english accent the two actors say period or co- comma quote there's a master ritual to summon the the big thing and no, he's he like wants, i need knowledge and power how will i get knowledge and power and they go oh well we'll tell you how just do this thing mm-hmm. the answer is a master ritual but then like there's also this like sub energy that one of them doesn't want to do what they've been tasked to do like the the male the gri- uh grizzle is like unsure about like ooh, should we really tell them should we do this and greedy guts like yes we have to for our master and whatever anyway rebecca comes back gives john one more chance leaves but black magic and she's hypnotized and now she's a slave because i guess she doesn't have her necklace on anymore anyway she's completely hypnotized and so we finally get to the master ritual and this is where that big screaming scene happens where everyone where John is standing on the altar and everything's going crazy and he's just going, ah! Okay, well, you've you've skipped ahead a little oh, bit. Oh, did I? They have to have their dinner party with his seven friends because the, the little people actors tell him, oh, we need seven people to do this ritual. Oh, that's right. So he invites his weird teen friends yeah. over, his adult teen friends. That's right. He has a second party. Um, they have a really awkward dinner in sunglasses and one of the guests goes, why do you wear these sunglasses? And I assumed they had to bring them themselves because the guy's, like, wearing these ridiculous, like, 
mechanical wind wi- windshield wiper sunglasses. They're that... all wearing sunglasses. It's like he had to go out to his basement and go, oh, crap, okay, uh, yeah, like I got these sunglasses. They're these like sunglasses. random assorted sunglasses, novelty sunglasses. I don't remember if they have any reason to be wearing them. But... Well, it's funny. I learned the originally this movie was supposed to be in 3D. And it actually began production in 3D. The audience would put their glasses on every time the characters put sunglasses on. There were a lot of times where there were sunglasses on in this movie. That kind of makes more sense. And it would change from 2D to 3D. After two days of filming in 3D, they changed their minds due to the complexity of mixing the two. And that's why there are so many scenes with characters wearing sunglasses. Huh. That's cool. Yeah, that is interesting. So they didn't reshoot the scenes. They kept all of the sunglasses in, and that's that, that's why they're all wearing sunglasses at night, because they can. Yeah, bizarre. Uh, so then they all just get hypnotized because he, he just has, has hypnosis power. He so has a he toast. Just... He tells them all to do a toast, and this is where it's the drink the Kool-Aid like cultist situation, where they all drink except for John and Rebecca, and then they don't drop their glasses. They're not poisoned. They're all in a trance. So he leads them all downstairs, puts them in, like, the same white robes and hoods and stuff as the beginning people and does his ritual in front of them. And that's where all the screaming is like, ah, so then he brings them back upstairs, takes their hoods and stuff off, gives them back their drinks and acts like the toast just finished. Cause all of their, uh, trances wore off at the same time. As it turns out, the screaming master ritual had a purpose beyond raising another demon. It, in fact, raised Jonathan's dead father from the same grave at the beginning. Malcolm Graves has risen from the dead, and along with him, his authority over the ghoulies and uh, Grizzle and Greedy Gut. That's when the uh, ghoulies start attacking. The first two to die uh, are Mark and... Yeah, Mark and... Donna? That's right. Mark and Donna are a item... Uh, they go outside to the fountain, and the ghoulies get both of them at that fountain. Why do I always have such a hard time remembering the deaths? Not really sure. Also, we also find out that you can summon multiples of the ghoulies because there's like three of the water ones that kill them. <laughs> well, we forgot also at the dinner, the ghoulies are like in the food and no one else notices them except for John and Rebecca. And they're kind of looking at each other like, look how gross this is. But we're the only ones that can see it because that's when it's like most obvious that he's made them actually invisible. It's really weird. They're just sitting in all the food. So anyway, let's wrap it up. Dick dies from Malcolm coming in, Malcolm the uh, undead father, pretending to be a really hot woman. uh, Dick being such a ladies man that he's like, Dick, you are one lucky dog. Walks over to the pretty woman, kisses her, and I guess Malcolm kills him with that really long tongue of his. By strangling him. Yeah, this is the... Externally, of course, just to be clear. Wraps it around him like a noose with his long tongue. After assumedly making out with him. Uh, And then Mike is bonked on the head, and that's how he dies. Uh, Eddie is clawed to death by a rat um, when Greedy Gut and Grizzle are standing on each other's shoulders like uh, in a trench coat. And they turn around, and it's like, ah, it's a rat. Um, The clown gets Robin in one of the best creature effect shots of the movie and it's terrible it's a terrible one but it's the best one of this it's the best of the worst do you want to describe it the clown getting robin um all i remember is the clown's mask starting to kind of tear apart to reveal a hand coming out of its mouth which then kind of stretches it down 
to reveal a ghouly face, I think, it's but like, not one we've seen before. It no. looks like all green and slimy. It's the biggest and the weirdest. It's all slimy. It's got an arm coming out of what its mouth should be. Oh, no, see, I thought it was just, like, reaching... I thought it was just reaching through the, like, costume. Oh, I couldn't even tell. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that was one of the cooler ones. Um, and then uh, Malcolm gets down to the uh, basement, and he does this big, Come to me! And all the ghoulies uh, start, like, inching their way toward the basement. But then one of the really funniest moments, all of the dead bodies start inchworming their ways, like, out of the shots every time we see a shot of where the dead body of like mark ended up and he yells come to me mark's dead body starts inchworming its way out of the frame because they're all gonna crawl down to the basement and they do when john gets down there he sees the five bodies of his friends in their white outfits and hoods with blood coming from their uh wounds and things uh and this is where john is confronted with his father malcolm um, before this, really quickly, Rebecca wakes up. Uh, oh, oh, I missed that part. Rebecca was released. She got her talisman taken off and she went to sleep. Then a bunch of her friends died. Then she wakes up, wanders around a little bit, and falls down the stairs. And John just can't believe this. Rebecca's dead, so he goes down to confront uh, his father. Uh, Malcolm meets John. They talk a little bit. The dwarves, the two little people, Grizzle and Greedy Gut, betray Malcolm. Uh, and give him a couple of grace seconds. Anyway, the, the whole thing is Wolfgang appears out of nowhere. The caretaker, he teleports around the room and manages to get his arms on Malcolm, the evil sorcerer. Then Malcolm gets Mal his hands around Wolfgang's throat. And then they dance while holding each other's throats and giving each other the stink eye while lightning bolts are terribly animated from each other's eyeballs into their faces. And they both explode into energy and the whole mansion is coming down. Uh, and then all of his friends are resurrected and all of their wounds are gone. And they're like, we gotta get out of here, come on. They get outside and they get to the cars and they drive away in separate cars. And uh, Mike asks, hey, what happened back there? And the best explanation the writers can come up with is, don't worry about it, is what John and Rebecca, the now again living Rebecca, tell Mike in the back seat. Before there's one more big scare. The coolie is in the back. <laughs> Sorry, were you waiting? I didn't. I wasn't trying to say. I was going to say it. I just wanted to make sure you remembered that happened there. So that's the movie of Ghoulies. That's our quick recap. This movie, we already said it before in the first part, but uh, I, we personally did not enjoy this movie. That said, I. I think it's still ripe for some analysis and discussion, specifically the relationship between its marketing and the final product. But I want to start off by talking about the uh, Satanism and just general cult mentality, because I know at the time there was a huge stigma against, oh, do you know what your kids are doing? They're out in the forest committing sacrifices to Satan. Keep your kids safe. Well, it's Didn't the, you grow it's up the during the era that? of... No, not really, but... Uh... It's the era of, like, Fear Over Dungeons & Dragons, Fear Over a lot of fantasy games and fantasy RPGs, like, introducing satanic elements to kids, and it's... Demons. 
I mean, obviously it just sells papers, so that's why it was an issue for the time, but I think this movie just sort of has about that loose of an understanding of the occult, is it's about as informed, not that there's some type of informed, but like, it just kind of goes, oh, demons and wizards and like... Magic. Uh, magic and stuff that's all kind of like and like potions and that's just all kind of a thing that all goes together under the occult right like and magic jewelry and it's just whatever like it it, feels like a cult it feels like they had a whiteboard and they were just going yeah yeah, come on more more uh potions yeah more 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 monsters uh wands wizards teleporting lightning bolts like none of their like singular powers like they all could have carried a movie on their own but they just throw a bunch of powers at these wizards for really no reason this movie should not be called Ghoulies. The main star, the main protagonist slash anti He's the protagonist and the antagonist is John, Jonathan Graves. The movie is all about Jonathan Graves coming to realize who his father is, uh, being inadvertently, slipping inadvertently into the same occulty traps that his father fell to he doesn't slip into them he's no the whole point is he's tricked by his dead father at first we think he's like falling into it but like the voiceover of wolfgang you know in case you already didn't figure out the wolfgang's a good guy the voiceover midway through the movie tells you that he was unable to resist the whispers of the dark one evil was willing the boy yeah and so he already removed any real like authority or concern about jonathan just because he's evil now he's evil because the evil spirits have got to him but even then that's the other my comment with this movie is like I've seen demon summoning done so much more like menacingly than this. Like literally, this movie would have you believe that all you have to do to summon demon servants to shoot lightning bolts out of your hands to make it rain indoors is just say the right words, and there's no cost at no point to like he have to commit a blood sacrifice or like offer up his you know a year of his life or anything even remotely menacing or evil he just says the words does the right dance and poof some magic little people appear for him or poof a little demon appears or poof lightning there's no cost to any of it so if the message is that the occult is dangerous and evil all that's conveyed is that there's no cost to it it looks pretty cool and your friends come back from the dead anyway there's a disconnect between the power that they allegedly have at their fingertips and what it does. The whole time, uh, John is saying these long monologues loudly and powerfully, and the words he's saying seem to imply a great deal of power, and we never see that power really used. He doesn't lift anything, like levitation. He doesn't lightning bolt anything, like force lightning. Is there any point where actual power is shown, and you can't say summoning the ghoulies? Uh, he does make it rain indoors, and he does shoot lightning bolts out of his magic staff. Like I'm going to count those as real powers. He even tries to do them to attack his dead dad. He tries to, like, summon the lightning bolt thing to do that. And his dad swats him. He's like, what are uh, you doing? And he goes, oh, yeah, screw this. Um, which was a great scene for a terrible movie. Like, just to have any type of callback and any type of, like, unexpected, oh, look at him, just swat away how weak you are. Oh, it's not a great scene. But that's what this movie takes as a great scene. So if I were to, and once again, I'm giving the writers a lot of credit, but if I were to come up with some themes for this movie, the, the father-son relationship, would, give me something. Is that even? Uh, I mean, it's, it's no, barely there's, there's there. Not, it's not relevant. This movie has like four distinct characters, like not characters, like tones, where it has the weird like cult undertone. 
It's got the just teenagers in a relationship problem. It's got the like fixing up an old house tone and it's got the like monsters are killing everyone tone and it it just sort of feels so confused that each point you don't really care about what's happening in the other plots because they don't really make any sense and it's a problem this movie suffers from a lot of horror movies usually have a protagonist that has a clear goal and that goal is survive the killer or survive the the killing impetus in this movie the protagonist and the antagonist are one in the same so i'm just sitting there just sitting there thinking well is he gonna like am i supposed to be sitting here hoping he summons more ghoulies to kill everyone or am i hoping is rebecca the hero it's so sloppy with that's the problem it's like if even if he hadn't committed the master ritual and fully brought his dad back from the dead he was already the bad guy so, like, even if Rebecca just left and, like, there was no more danger, he still would have been the bad guy. And it's still just sort of a, oh, I guess he'll just rot away in his house doing evil things kind of plot. The conflict becomes between him and Rebecca. And we're left to go, oh, the conflict is Rebecca's keeping him from summoning demons. So we should want Rebecca to go away. And, yes, now he can summon more demons. The conflict is... We're rooting for the guy to continue gaslighting his girlfriend so he can see more demons. But every time he does, she gets mad and more conflict arises and goes away because she leaves. She she gets fed up and leaves. She chooses to leave at smart times, honestly. And then comes back. (sighs) To her credit, she does a great job. I think Rebecca, the actress that plays Rebecca, does a pretty good job at portraying at first support she comes back but the last time she comes back it's basically just to leave except she gets hypnotized she's literally just there to say so i'm leaving like she comes back to say i'm leaving that's the problem again where it's like since he can just hypnotize anyone at will where was the threat to this character that's another thing yeah where's the power level he can just trick and i guess oh he's becoming more powerful as the movie goes on but it would make you believe that all you had to do was pour the right wine in the glass. Yeah, the and wine. He could poison people. Yeah. It's it's very poorly conveyed, like, how difficult anything is for this guy to do. So early in the movie, I thought it was going to be handling more of, like, a black magic corrupting this uh, innocent boy into something evil. But it really does no—the movie does no effort to imply that John is not— in control of his decisions or is not does not have all his faculties in fact i would say the movie does its damnedest to establish that john is evil now and wants to do evil things he's not summoning the ghoulies to pie his friends in the face he's not summoning the dwarves to go on a drinking a pub crawl he's summoning them to do more evil and the movie reinforces that John wants to do this. So I cross that out. It's not black magic corrupting him. Uh, and then I thought it was just like general, like I said, Satanism and cult uh, fear mongering is just getting that in their minds. But the occultist stuff seems pretty milk toast. There's no killing in yeah, the there's rituals. No blood there's sacrifice. no blood. There's no really any type of there's like just cost. chanting. Yeah, it just it's like D and D kind of evil, where it's like, yeah, you you just say the right words, and then the bad thing happens. But even to to go off of the D, the Dungeons and Dragons thread, there is still a uh, 
equitable cost to the larger magic things like summoning, isn't there? In oh, I mean, Dungeons I, and Dragons, I don't even want to get into that because I feel so <laughs> stupid for the first statement I made because I know exactly how costs and summonings actually work. But yeah, anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, no, D and D would more accurately represent like a view of demonic summoning that requires cost or sacrifice and it's usually like a mental cost like you have to do a constitution save and if you fail you go mad because you screwed up the spell and now you've lost your mind for like a week yeah 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 because constitution is the stat that we associate with the mind sorry what was that wisdom what is it or int Int intelligence either of them i think it's probably (laughs) wisdom but you know maybe it's just how tough you are this has been dungeons and dragons with kyle and derek tune in next week (laughs) um and then I thought it was the father, excuse me, the father and son theme, because there's a really bizarre moment at the end where Malcolm says to John, kiss me, my son. Do you remember that? I do. Um, How did that make you feel? You need to restart that. You need to go continuing on the father and son theme, because that was your first point. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Continuing on the father and son theme, which I thought the movie was about. It's the only one I can still hold any water to. But yeah, it turns into a like vaguely incestual horror when he says that, when he's like, kiss me, my son. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a, oh, I'm going to suck the life out of you kind of scene. Um, it's already kind of weird, though, because you remember he turned into a girl to make out with his friend upstairs. Yeah. Um, this undead but... man has the power to change form. Like, what are his powers? Oh, just whatever they need to be. So, uh, so it to, just doesn't matter. To he, look back he at can the kind of fly, yeah, he can kind of change shape, and he can manipulate things from the grave. I guess he was never dead, because yeah, to to go back in the timeline, the Ghoulies and Grizzgut and uh, Grizzle and Greedy Gut were never loyal to John. They were always getting ready for Malcolm to show up, and then they were loyal to Malcolm, and they weren't loyal to John anymore. Um. So, yeah, he has the power to manipulate things from beyond the grave. He has the power to shoot lightning bolts out of his eyeballs. He can summon demons. Like, how is he more powerful than John other than the fact that he swats John away and says it? He seems to demonstrate the same powers. Yeah, which no, is on purpose. They're, just, they're all better. It's just all the same powers, but better. He summons multiples of the water ghoulie by just looking at water, basically. Like, his lightning bolts are better, his chokehold is better, everything he does is just better than John's stuff. It's supposed to be because John doesn't really have power, he's just being possessed by the dead dad, I think, through most of that part of the movie. So why wouldn't Wolfgang, his protector from infancy, do anything about it? Why would he allow him to come back to this house that he inherited after his father's grisly demise. I can only assume that he actually thought the father was dead, but I mean, I don't really... Well, then why wouldn't he clean I'm, up the Satan stuff? Well, you're literally going to be the first person in history to ask that question, <laughs> because no one writing this movie, or producing it, or watching it, has ever cared about the answer to that no, before. No, no, all they cared about was showing off uh, how crazy teens can be at parties. That teen party where they're... Uh, uh, Mike is doing a breakdancing routine and all of his drugs fall out of his pockets onto the floor. Um, that was once again actually one of my favorite scenes of it because I thought it was really? actually kind of funny. <laughs> where, like, it's a guy who's clearly drunk and probably high, like, trying to do, like, the worm and just terrible yeah. breakdancing. And as he's spinning, there's just a fountain of joints and pills just flying out of him <laughs> and it's actually kind of funny because of how much it's overdoing the look how much drugs your kids are on kind of mentality and i got a kick out of it it was one of the better like actual 
jokes of the movie that landed for me one of the only jokes i think of the movie that landed for me was just the you know ludicrous over like he throws out like 20 joints as he's spinning around well let's talk about the quote-unquote comedy in this movie i was surprised when we saw on hulu that this was a comedy horror and the tagline and poster seem to betray the same thing it's a monster coming out of the toilet and the punny tagline they'll get you dot 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 in the end if you hadn't figured that out already (laughs) haha Where is the humor in the movie besides that party scene? (laughs) There really is. There really isn't. I mean, there's like them, the ghoulies at the dinner table when the other people can't see it. That's kind of a joke for us, the audience. There's the long screaming scene, which... Yeah, there's a few scenes where it's like it's really hard to tell was this supposed to be serious or just well-written camp. And I don't it doesn't really come off as funny either way but no and the ending so yeah at the end wolfgang reveals himself to be as powerful as uh malcolm at least equally enough to restrain him and obliterate him with weakened non-fully resurrected malcolm okay cool yeah, I mean... Like, what gravity did that hold? God forbid well, the writers could rules. realize how poetic and actually... Uh, how good it would be if John was the one to overthrow his father, overcome all of the bad things that have been going on. God forbid we get any kind of catharsis when instead Wolfgang swoops in, a character Teleports we haven't in. cared about the entire movie. In a big purple wizard's robe. And wraps Ridiculous up the movie in a nice little thing. lightning bolt. With his Santa Claus beard and purple wizard robe, he teleports over, chokes him guy for a while. They spin around, around. <laughs> chokes him for a little while, a little more spinning, some psychic lightning, and poof, sparks, and no more house. So let's talk about the creatures themselves, the ghoulies. They're basically solid silicone rubber that you then painted, and you just put your hand inside, and there you got a ghoulie. Oh, and don't forget to spray it. Make sure it's nice and wet and yeah i mean goopy. like the initial monster design is creepy for them it's okay like it was clear the drawing that they made was they don't creepy. blink they're but just yeah they're not like they don't move naturally they, they look move, like rubber chickens yeah, they move like a piece of latex that someone's wiggling through the shot and that's why they almost never move we're pretty much just seeing that like we show them and they do their like two things that they can do the rat one opens its mouth yeah. and chews something the cat one moves. The its cat eyes. one's eyes can move. The spider one kind of opens up a little bit. And they just do the like one animatronic thing that they can do, and then you pan away, and that's enough. That's it's funny. All they wanted to do with them. It's I want to say ironic because it makes the clown one of the scarier things because it's more realistic. Yeah, and the worst part is it's just a Halloween store clown. It's mask. just a clown, and it's still definitely scarier because it's on a little life-size doll. That and it actually has some menace. We we think it is creepy and unusual and moves strange. The ghoulies don't really menace anyone. Like we see them in the same room as people, just kind of watching them, just hanging out. Like really not like they're not pushing the limit of what they can do. Like for, they're not he, murderous. He told them you can't hurt people. Done. Stay invisible. So and they climb. listen to them. We know that they're not gonna kill people, but like. They're not even trying to like steal their shit or like trip them. They're not like the or, gremlins or where they're hurt just them. Some type of thing to show that they're inherently evil. 
they they kind of just seem cute. They're like, like animals. They're like pets. Cute. That's the wrong word, but they just sort of seem innocent. Well, the cat or, one honestly seemed kind of cute to like, me. Like they just kind of wander around and look at stuff. They don't really do anything that bad. And they're strictly obedient. If you tell them to be invisible, don't worry. No one else is gonna see them. If you tell them not to touch anything, don't worry. They'll just f- sit around in the corners of things and do their little giggle. They, the cat one reminds me of um, the Muppet thing that sits behind Jabba's tail uh, in Jabba's palace. Does that thing have a name? Of course it does. I used to know it. Does it have oh, an entire oh, backstory? <laughs> well, in the expanded universe, it does. <laughs> well, yeah, the cat thing reminds me. Salacious Crumb. What? Salacious Crumb. That's Salacious Crumb, designed, of course, by uh, Industrial Light and Magic. Which, that's a canon name, I think. I think it's actually named in the, like, somewhere in the production. Oh, like it's been repurposed now? Oh. No, no, no. Like, that's, like in the script? That's not from the expanded universe. I think that name's, like, from... What number do you think Salacious Crumb was on the call sheet? I could be entirely wrong. <laughs> I don't know. But, like, yeah, anyway. Um, so, yeah, the monsters themselves are pretty lame. The themes are so lapsed, I can barely even reach them. One thing I want to no- uh, note is there was a lot of what's called rotoscoping slash superimposing in the movie. Specifically, the eyeballs of Malcolm and John toward the end when he's, like, fully possessed. They have this green hue to them. I recognize the technique used on those uh, in movies like, um, specifically animated movies of, like, the Don Bluth era. Uh, Secret of Nim. Um, uh, some of those earlier movies feature what's called rotoscoping. And what it is is taking, uh, specifically in the Secret of Nim, is live-action footage of smoke superimposed or rotoscoped onto the animation so that you get this really interesting effect of live action smoke in an animated uh, arena and i don't know if it's easy to picture but you can go look on uh just type in rotoscoping or superimposing into yahoo or google and i'm pretty sure they'll give you a good uh, example of it so that's the technique that was used on the eyes um and the lightning bolts at the end when uh uh malcolm and wolfgang are strangling each other i don't know if that had like just been discovered as a cheap cool technique and that's why it was included but it's not like it was overtly used but it was in there so here comes my favorite part where we talk about the rating we talk about what we thought uh based on basically whatever we want on a scale of zero to five thumbs zero being the worst and five being the best traditionally i like to let my guest answer first derek what you think of ghoulies i'm tempted to say zero because i don't know if they like <laughs> place them anywhere and i can just go it's zero it's terrible and move on that's i'll give it one though um why it'll go to the creature designer because i know i'm harping on it but it's literally the only part of the movie that i actually liked is like the design of the rat ghoulie and the design of the cat ghoulie were actually a little bit weird and i thought they were decently done i mean they move like crap and everything they do with them is utter garbage but I'll give that thumb to to the guy who had to build those props or at least, you know, spray them down every day because he did a decent job. Um, nothing well, nothing really good can be said about the plot, the characters. I mean, the acting was not the worst part of it, so I guess that's fine. I mean, the friends were all pretty terrible, but the leads were okay. They didn't detract from a very weak product. Um, so, so yeah, solid, solid one. And who does that thumb belong to? The creature effects guy. Oh, you gave it, oh, sorry, sorry. Um, 
the creature effects guy, uh, by the name of John Carl Buchler and his company Mechanical and Makeup Imageries, Inc. Yes. Or Imageries, maybe. <laughs> or Imaginings. Or Imageries. Okay, very cool. I'm not going to employ him. <laughs> very interesting. Did you enjoy this film, Kyle? No. No, I did not. How many stars are you going to... Sorry. How many thumbs are you going to give this film? I'm going to give it one thumb, two. Because Wait, one or two? Uh, just one. I'm not going to give it zero. Oh, <laughs> I'm not going to give it zero thumbs. I think I'm going to reserve that for a movie that can't even form together a plot. The movie we watch where I can't even understand and rearticulate what happened, and the podcast suffers for it. That will be my zero. This movie still gets a one. Why? The monsters are abysmal. There is one arguably visually interesting quote-unquote scare all the actors in it are horrendous except for two and this is my opinion rebecca and john the two characters jonathan and rebecca carry the movie with their non-existent conflict uh, conflict their relationship problems are stupid unrealistic vapid who hasn't had to deal with in-bed summoning issues? Superficial, contrived, and pretty entertaining. And that's why I give Ghoulies, not Goonies, Ghoulies, one thumb. You think they traded on the popularity of Goonies at all? Did that come out after? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, and that's... Oh, so Goonies is trading on the popularity of Ghoulies. Definitely gotcha. one. Definitely one or the other. Someone's to blame here. Yeah, someone needs to be sued. My thumb, of course, belongs to Greedy Gut, the uh, female uh, little person that gets summoned. She's the one that I believe is on top. Uh, no, she's the one that's on the bottom when they're standing on each other's shoulders uh, in the trench coat. <laughs> So she needs all the help she can get. It goes up to Greedy Gut. And if that actor is still working out in the world, I would love to meet you and have you come onto the Gory Days sometime. That would be a treat. Unfortunately, I don't know your name. So what a great start we're off to. Maybe I can tweet at you after I do a little more research and you can come onto the Gory Days. So Twitter followers, once again, it's all right. We don't have any uh, followers or at least ones that are willing to engage with us and ask us uh, questions or give their suggestions or feedback. That's okay, though. I didn't engage with some of my favorite podcasts until they were about 25 episodes in. Then I went back and realized, oh, my gosh, there's a whole catalog of things. It'll happen. I'm not worried. Until then, I'll be sitting here in my hot box of a room recording movie after movie. Next week on The Gory Days, we'll be talking about another fantastic horror movie from the 1980s and early 1990s. Derek, was there anything else you wanted to say before we said goodbye to our faithful listeners? Uh, no, just have a wonderful day out there today. That's right. Oh, and watch out for those toilets. Stay scary out there. The Gory Days! you want your thoughts on each week's movies heard on the podcast, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Gory Days. And look for more episodes each and every week on the Apple Podcast app. See you next time. The Gory Days. The Gory Days.